Hey guys, today I want to preach on something that I've actually been mulling over for a little while and I felt like God was dropping it in today. Um, I'm going to be preaching on seeing Jesus with new vision, talking about the road to Emmaus. So we're going to be camping out in one specific portion of scripture and going deep today. It's, that's why I'm sitting, another sitting, a casual Bible study with Pastor Tams today. So I felt like this portion of scripture was highlighted for this season. In this day, I have so many friends that are going through forms of deconstruction in their faith. Um, They're challenging everything that they've known and grown up in, um, living with their own truth. How many individuals just you've heard say, I just want to live my truth. I just want to speak my truth. Like everything's so relative these days. What is truth? How do we find it and define it? but really it's an opportunity season. Rather than being in fear, what is the church gonna do? People are leaving. I think this is an opportunity season because we're actually able to return to greater faith because we've gone through a process with the Lord and we've learned to make our faith, not the faith just of our parents, but make our faith our own. And so our friends that are going through this, though it can be so hard to see them go that path, Let us be in constant prayer for them because this is an opportunity season for them. They can turn further away or in their questioning and in the mystery, they can turn to him. And in the middle of, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what's up and down. They can still lean back into the arms of the father. And that's my heart's desire too. And I want to just encourage you, if you're going through your own form of deconstruction or just not knowing what to believe, just lean back into the arms of a father. He is not... intimidated by your questions. He is not threatened by your questions. In fact, he's like, good, yield yourself to me. Let me answer them with you. And so we're going to go after this. He wants to meet you in your journey and unveil to you who he really is. Not what a certain political party says he is. Not what your parents or relatives say he is. Not what you've read in a book or read through a Sunday school lecture, whatever it might be, he wants to reveal himself to you, a living relationship. We don't don't want to just talk about him. We want to engage with the living God. So I want to take a moment. Think about an image of Jesus. You guys have something popping into your head? Some of you might be thinking of a light brown haired, maybe even blonde Jesus with blue or green eyes. It might look like he has a nice Brazilian blowout and the sunlight just hits it perfectly. Soft waves cascading upon his white robe and blue sash. We tend to make Jesus in our own image, don't we? European painters Love to do so. Made Jesus look very white over time. We love this soft, handsome European Jesus. And even Hollywood has portrayed Jesus like this. One of, a, one of the recent shows hired a Portuguese model to play Jesus. I'm here to break some hearts. Jesus did not have shaved washboard abs. 
I know, I'm sorry, I know a lot of you ladies love to go on dates with Jesus, but he just doesn't look like that. The fact is that he was probably very rugged looking, dark-skinned, a Jewish man who wasn't necessarily a male model with smooth washboard abs. <laughs> Molly goes, you don't know that. <laughs> You're right, I don't know that. In fact, I did tell that to one person and they go, he was a carpenter. He was probably in really good shape. Stonemason, chiseled. Just saying. All right, all right. Well, thankfully, we're starting to get it more as a, especially a Christian culture. We're starting to adapt to this notion. And I love that there are new portrayals out there of Jesus. There's been um, studies to see what would a Jewish man look like at this time? They were actually pretty short, and you can, you can kind of look and see what that looks like. Um, and I love, have you guys seen The Chosen? Raise your hand if you've seen The Chosen TV series. Highly recommended. I think it's the, the largest crowdfunded project of all time now. The Chosen TV series. It's about the life of Jesus, and it goes through the book of John. So the first season, I think, is just John 1 through 4. Anyway, in, in The Chosen, they portray him in a different way where he's funny. Some of you are like, Jesus was funny? Our God created humor, okay? He created laughter. He's funnier than all of you are. That wasn't a dig, I don't know. Oh! Anyway, we're attempting to change our perceptions over time, moving away from blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus to the Jewish man. In your life, have you ever seen someone and made assumptions about them from a distance? I'm the only one, right? Someone walks in the door, they have an unusual outfit, unusual hair, you make some assumptions. I bet I know what they're like. I have an understanding. And you start to create a story of what you think the individual might be like. But when you actually sit down to get to know someone, are we humble enough to be like, oh my gosh, they actually have a really cool story and I totally judge them ahead of time. Yeah. Does that happen to you guys? Where there's like that radical change, you see someone from a distance, but then you meet them and you sit down with them and you're like, I humble myself. They are completely different than I originally thought. And in fact, they got something really special going on in their lives. And you actually learn to get God's lens for them, to love them well. Yeah. It takes humility. It takes your own preconceived notions and laying those down to really get to know someone, hear their story, acknowledge that your assumptions were wrong. And in our relationship with Jesus, it also takes immense humility. And we should come to him with our preconceived ideas of who he is and, and what he's like and what he should be like. So a lot of people like to think what God should be like. I am more compassionate, more compassionate than God himself. I know how things should be. And we tend, we tend to create this, this narrative. So what does it take for the blinders to be removed to actually see Jesus as he really is? 
And here we have a story in Luke chapter 24 of Jesus changing the perceptions of his followers and unveiling himself as he really is. So let's turn now to Luke 24. This used to be a time in sermons where you'd hear pages flipping and the, the pastor could take a sip of his water because it's like a nice moment of like rustling. Now it's just silent because everyone's getting out your iPhones. If you have a Bible, flip really loud. No. Luke 24. No, you don't have to be obnoxious either. Luke 24. Did you guys know that Luke was a doctor? He also wrote the book of Acts. Really smart guy. And the way that he organized his book, you can actually see signs of that. So this is Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the story of Jesus. And at this moment in Luke 24, Jesus had been executed. The tomb was found empty by a couple of ladies who just found, they were coming with their spices because their God had been crucified. And they just wanted to to honor him. But instead they found angels saying, your God is not here. Isn't it great that women, too, were the first to proclaim the good news? And then we see Peter, who's denied Jesus, who's like, we're not making that mistake again, runs to the empty tomb. And so there's a, there's a bustle about what is happening right now. We saw these angels, but, but what's, what's taking place? Did, did someone take him? Is it true what these accounts are saying? And so here we find two Ordinary followers of Jesus in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Two out of hundreds of followers of Jesus at the time. At this moment, they are leaving Jerusalem, walking back to a town called Emmaus. There's a little bit of grappling how far the distance is, but it looks like most scholars believe it's seven miles. Seven miles exactly is if you walked from here to the Grove to go shopping. Gives you a good idea. Modern day illustration for all you folk. And and so it took a good amount of time. And as they're on their way home, they'd come to Jerusalem for Passover, which they had probably even witnessed the crucifixion themselves. And they were returning home with extremely heavy hearts. And what were they talking about as they were going? Well, what would you guys be talking about if this had happened to you? I mean, you had just sold all of your possessions to follow this man that proclaimed to be Messiah. You thought that he really was. And so you followed him to Jerusalem for the Passover, the most important time of the year for the Jewish people. And this man that you've given your life to follow, that you've put all of your hope in, gets arrested and then crucified. He was supposed to be the one that saves God's people from the oppressive Roman Empire, but now he's dead. And then you're hearing reports all of a sudden that the tomb's empty. Did someone take his body? This is all extremely odd, and we don't know what else to do. So we're just packing up with broken hearts and returning home. Jerusalem even might have been extremely dangerous for them, for all they knew, for any followers of this man that was crucified. And here's the thing, 
even though Jesus was trying to tell his disciples over and over again that these things were going to happen, this was absolutely shattering for his followers. They didn't get it. Their frameworks were so completely different from the way that it went down that they couldn't even compute the truth of what was happening. And can you guys relate at all to the stress that these guys might have gone through? It may not be quite as dramatic, but what about the areas of our lives where we're holding on to hope for God's power to come through? You're longing for a breakthrough. You're longing to see your career take shape. You're longing for a spouse, for a family. And it's like, where is God? I'm trying to give all of myself for him. Where is he at? Where was he when my mom died of cancer? Where is he now that I'm wrestling through the the hardest season of my life? And we start to build a framework and a theology based off of our experiences. And we let these questions start to grow to such a point that they callous our hearts and we feel wounded. Well, these guys could relate to that. What are we going to do now? Our leader, our teacher, the one that we follow with everything, he's now dead. And now I have lost total vision for my future. So while these two disciples are processing everything that's happened and how their, their hopes have been completely shattered, right in the middle of their process, we see the story take form. Jesus takes initiative, and he casually walks up to these two and sparks a little conversation with them. And this is the center point of the story. Luke 24, verse 15. I'm reading from the NASB. Luke 24, 15. While they were walking and discussing... Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. One translation expounds, they were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. This is known as one of the most beautiful, artistically told stories in the New Testament, and it's about individuals who are literally walking next to Jesus, but they can't see him. And it's one of the most powerful images of what it looks like to follow Jesus, but not to actually come to finally see him and know him as the resurrected God. And I want to say that no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what heavy thing that you're going through, Jesus is still here. And he is willing to come to you. And he's never going to leave your side. And isn't it just like him to lean in and say, hey, what's going on with your day? These aren't even his main disciples or characters. It's not, his, it's not necessarily his crew. These are just ordinary followers. Yet Jesus pursued them. The word says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Are you tracking there? Something kept their eyes from seeing Jesus as Jesus, the one that they had been following. They see, yeah, this guy's a Jewish man but they can't see that it's the Messiah, Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Sorry, 17. Jesus said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they came to a stop, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas, which his name means glory to the Father. 
It's also interesting, he's the only one named of the two. Sorry, second guy. Some of you are familiar with that as you're acting. Second gentleman. But my name's in the credits. So this guy's name means glory to the Father. He answered and said to Jesus, are you possibly the only one living in Jerusalem who does not know about the things that are happening in these days? When I'm reading that, I just gave you a little bit of a cynical accent with it. But that's how I read it. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Freak? No. And I love Jesus. He can be cheeky. Cheeky Jesus. He says, what sort of things? He plays along. Verse, that's right. Verse 19. They said to him, those things about Jesus the Nazarene, who proved to be a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, crucified. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. These men don't have any idea Yet we as the reader know. But here it becomes clear what's actually blinding them. To them, the crucifixion isn't a victory as we see it. To them, it's a complete tragedy. He was to be the one who would redeem Israel. Are you guys familiar with the term redeem or redemption? In summary, it's a word that describes something that is awful or tragic and needs major transformation to be turned into something good and beautiful. Redeem, redemption. This is the king that makes beautiful things out of the tragic, out of the heavy. Redemption. And in scripture, where is the first appearance of redemption? Have you heard of the law of first mention? It's when the first thing is mentioned in scripture, you take note. Well, here's the first mention of redemption. We're going to be looking at it in Exodus chapter 6. It's the story of the liberation of slaves into becoming God's free people. God does something to purchase people out of slavery and into a place of freedom. Exodus 6, 5 through 7. The first mention of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And so there is a longing within these two Jewish men that God's people will once again be saved from the oppression, this time the oppression of the Roman Empire that they had probably known since birth. If there is a Messiah, he's going to save Israel from the oppression of Rome. No wonder they are so crushed. They had grown up under this rule and wanted to see God's people set free. They wanted an Exodus story to take place again through this coming Messiah. But little did they know that this Exodus story was being accomplished that very weekend. How often we're going through difficult things and we find ourselves in conversation with God. God, where are you at? Are you not paying attention? It feels like he is distant, far away, and we get so confused that he's not breaking in and helping. God, you can do anything. 
Why aren't you breaking into this situation? These men absolutely felt the same way, but their eyes, their vision was stuck in an earthly kingdom. And when you're stuck in an earthly kingdom, you also get stuck in doubt and hopelessness because you can't see any further. You have lost heaven's perspective, the perspective of the true kingdom. And as we read this story, I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to challenge us and have us ask some questions about ourselves and our own belief systems and connect with him about it. As I walk alongside Jesus, what are the preconceived ideas and beliefs that I have formed, that I already have, that I'm holding on to somehow? What is preventing me from seeing? Is it possible that I can walk alongside Jesus, but not really see him accurately? Not seeing him as he is and what he's doing? Holy Spirit, what is causing me to not see Jesus as he really is. So as these men are telling him all of the crazy things that had taken place even that very day, Jesus responds. Verse 25, then he said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all what the prophets have spoken. Was it, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all of the scriptures. So as, are you, are you guys getting this? As they're walking along this road to Emmaus, they meet Jesus, they're frustrated, they're downcast, and as he sparks these conversations, he actually takes time to say, let's examine your belief system. Let's take a look actually how this aligns to the kingdom. What does scripture say? Yeah. What does scripture say the events of the Messiah will look like? Yeah. What will the Messiah look like? Let's get a clear understanding of what the Messiah looks like. Wow. And Jesus points to the issue of what their blindness is. Wow. It's in their hearts. Yeah. Their very core is so hardened with these assumptions that they cannot open their hearts to the truth. So Jesus begins highlighting Isaiah, Zechariah, the Psalms, pulling out all of these power-packed prophecies of who the Messiah is and what events will take place and how the victory of the Messiah will come to pass. He looks from page to page of scripture. The anointed one releases the smearing of God's presence onto the words of scripture to unveil the truth in a new way to them. And it's beginning to deeply stir in their hearts as he teaches. If some stranger started saying to me that I'm foolish, <laughs> that I'm slow of heart, I don't know how I would respond. But there was something about the way that he spoke. The anointed one right there in front of them that actually brought with a bit of discipline a drawing of the spirit, a loving discipline that actually seemed to draw them in closer. I think there's something interesting here about how often we're longing for an encounter. We, we want that power encounter with God. We want a, bo a booming voice to tell us what to do, 
how to escape of where we're trapped. But sometimes God wants to take us on a journey with him, discovering the truth and the way. And often, if not always, it's through scripture. In a prophetic culture, someone give me a word, I'm having a hard time. I need, I, I'm having the worst season. I need a word of God and encounter to get me out. And sometimes Jesus is saying, let's walk together. Why don't we read some scripture together? Why don't we get a clear heavenly idea of what I am like, what you are like, and what your life should look like? We are so obsessed with reaching the destination, but God loves the process. So they end up coming to Emmaus after this long journey, and Jesus gives them the impression, great to meet you guys. I'm going a little further off. He's going on his way. And they, say, they insist, no, Jesus, it's getting dark. Just come, come to the house. We'll make dinner. They probably even said, stay for the night. Let's make, let's make a meal. So he agrees to have dinner with them. Let's look at verse 30. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. He broke it and began giving it to them. Usually this would be the host's duty, but I love that Jesus jumps in here. Maybe they were humbled through the teaching and said, you know the scriptures, why don't you do this? Verse 31, he broke the bread and then their eyes were opened. They recognized him and then he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were our hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? How powerful is that verse? Were our hearts not burning within us as he was explaining the scriptures to us? If that doesn't describe Jesus, the living word burning within us, that's the truth burning within you. The passion of our God. Sounds like a familiar scene, doesn't it? If you just had flipped a couple pages back, hours before he was arrested, they were having the Passover meal the elements that he used to reveal his broken body and his shed blood. He gives it to them. In this moment, he breaks the bread, symbolizing his body, and their eyes are opened. He didn't even get to the wine. But isn't that interesting? His resurrected body that had been ripped open on your behalf reveals resurrection power and new life. This is the resurrected God that they're beholding and then he vanishes before their eyes. I do believe that there are also suddenlies. Suddenly they saw. There was a process. There was a journey. Then suddenly they saw. These men begin processing what the heck just happened in front of them. You saw that too, right? That whole time that man was traveling with us. We've seen Jesus before. What happened in this moment? Meeting with, with him in their grief and their questioning, walking near and beside him. 
unveiling the truth of the scriptures to them, acting as a friend, as a compassionate teacher. But now their physical eyes and mind caught up with what had been stirring within their very hearts. Often we'll go through a tough event and a season where we, where we finally realize that God was with us through it all. And we look back and we see there was the signpost. There was the signpost. There was the signpost. He was with me through it all. He was working, even when we couldn't see it at the moment. He is always working. There is never a time that God turns his back on the beloved. He is always near. He is always full of compassion and always full of care. The shift had taken place. Truth had been revealed. And the fruit of the truth comes with joy and with boldness. So these two men immediately got up, left their downcast spirit behind, and they began to run back to Jerusalem and tell the disciples what they had just seen. Verse 33, they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, saying, the Lord really has risen and is now appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them by the breaking of bread. Here's here's, Here's the cool switch that takes place. And now, while they were telling these things, Jesus himself suddenly stood in their midst and said, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened. (laughs) And they thought that they were looking at a spirit. And he said to them, why are you frightened? And why are doubts arising in your hearts? Why are you frightened? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Some of you need to hear that. Why are you frightened? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? See my hands? See my feet? It's I myself. Touch me and see. Because a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you plainly see that I have. He showed them his hands and his feet. He is so patient with us. You need to see? Let me show you. The fruit of the truth being revealed in this moment, once again, is joy and astonishment. He said to them, you got anything to eat? I love this. We have this holy scripture about his hands, his feet, and he's like, can you serve me up a dish of broiled fish? Why do you think he did that? Because he's still a man, resurrected, fully God, fully man, not just a spirit. That fish went down the mouth (laughs) into his stomach. He took it and ate it in front of them. I love how practical that passage is. And here we're going to end with this. Verse 44. He said to them, these are my words which I've spoken to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. What does that look like? Is that an act of the spirit? 
Were they, were they not even able to have an open mind until that moment? All we know is that he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. He said to them, so it's written, the Christ would suffer and arise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. For you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Isn't that a phenomenal portion of scripture? (laughs) In our lives, we are always... We are always looking for God to actively move with his presence. And as we invite him to speak and to move in our lives, even in our darkest hour, he will reveal himself to us. I want to encourage you today to not give up hope. Lean in. Invite him into your process and into your journey. He is not intimidated by your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings, your questions. He wants to meet you in the mystery on your road to Emmaus. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? Just get right now in a posture where you can receive whatever that looks like to you. God, just as you opened up the minds of your followers to be able to understand the truth of who you are and the truth of scriptures, we ask that by the power of our God and by the working of the helper, the Holy Spirit, that you would do that to us. Even right now, God, open up our minds to understand, to have wisdom. As we read parables, as we read portions of scripture, that we would fall more and more in love with you, more and more in love with the truth. I thank you, God, that right now in the middle of a generation that is so shaken with what truth is, that you have the answer. Look at the contrast. Men and women that build their houses upon the sand or upon a rock. We build our house upon you, Jesus. You are our rock. You are our salvation. You are the one that we are not shaken. And I pray that even today that there would be a shifting within this house and a shifting in our relationships where there would be a true hunger for the truth of God, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. But we have given our yes. We want to walk with you. We want to follow you. We want you to teach us the ways of Scripture and the ways of life. 
And so we ask God, whatever road that we're on, whatever point we're at in the journey, that there would be a sensitivity, an awareness, a softening of our hearts to see you as you really are, to see that you're right here, that you are near, that you are with us. And I thank you that even today, there is fear. I see just as there's a callousness falling from your hearts, there is a fear that is falling from your life. Fear, anxiety, and stress right now, I command you to melt away from every single believer in the house. True ownership is perfect love, and his name is Jesus. And I speak from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes that you would feel a washing right now by the power of the blood of Jesus that every bit of fear and discouragement and hopelessness be expelled from your life from this moment forward. That there would be truly a salvation experience as you say, I have given my life to follow Jesus. I am his, he is mine. And so no form of darkness and no form of the tormentor can stay put. And I thank you, God, that we are moving forward into a new day. That just as these men had their minds renewed, that we too are having a renewal of our minds to see clearly about who we are and who our God is. I speak a blessing over every single one of you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.